We're thrilled to have all of you here this morning. We again want to thank you for the veterans and the service that you provided. We appreciate so much your time in serving our country. We thank you for your commitment and your continued commitment. Um, I'm, I'm always intrigued when I'm around Marines. You know, they say once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. Yes? That's, that's what I have been told. I don't know about that because I never was a Marine. Um, if I had it to do over again, I'd do something. Uh, but, I, but I don't know about what, you know, but that's what they say. Once an Army sergeant, I don't know if you're always Army sergeant or Navy guy, I don't know. I don't know how that, yes, you are. Okay, okay. All right, just want to make sure. All right. We're thrilled you're here. We're really, really happy that you're with us this morning. We want to spend a few minutes with you. We're going to look at uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, start a little conversation with you. And I can't get, there it goes. We're going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. Before I get into the sermon, I want to share with you what happened here yesterday. Uh, we had John Reed with us last Sunday. Sunday before that, we had Jeff Walling. The Sunday before that, there was this guy preaching named Ed Bush. I just want to remind you, that's me. I, I feel like it's been a long time since I've been in the pulpit because it has been three weeks. Um, I'm from Alabama. Don't hold that against me. My wife's from Georgia. Don't hold that against her either. My wife actually is at the Sunny Hills Church of Christ this morning. She's visiting with them. Uh, Hope Manzano, who is the new director of the Oasis Children's Ministry down in Vicente Guerrero, is speaking at the uh, Bible class there this morning. She wanted to go visit with Hope and get better acquainted with her, so she's there with her this morning. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll have a wonderful new video about Oasis to share some more information with you. But this morning I want to begin talking with you about 1 Corinthians. And I, and I come to this text simply because I think it's probably one of the most parallel texts between where we live today and what people were living with in the first century. If there's a book that looks like us in the 21st century, it's the letter to the church in Corinth. And I say that because so many of the things that Paul dealt with in that church, in those churches, not saying it was just one congregation, I think there were a multiplicity of churches and gatherings, but I, but I really do believe that the things that Paul dealt with are exactly what we're dealing with in our world today. How many of you feel like we're extremely united as a country? No hands. No hands. How many of you think we're really united in the church across the nation? Not many hands. Wonder why. It's because we live in a world that is divided in so many, many different ways. Well, I have good news for you. Regardless of how you voted in the election on Tuesday, God is still God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus is still Lord of Lords. Amen? Amen? He is still the King of Kings. Amen? Our home is in heaven when we pass from this world, amen? amen? So all the other stuff is incidental. Whether you voted independent, Republican, Democrat, yellow dog, Democrat, and if you don't know what that is, ask me after church. That's what they used to call them in Alabama because they said they were such a democratic state you could run a yellow dog on the ticket and people would vote for the yellow dog. It doesn't matter who you voted for. What matters is, are you in the family of God? That's what counts. That's what really counts. And, and when you look at the book of 1 Corinthians and the things that Paul addresses, it's like he stood in our churches in the 21st century and says, here's what you guys are dealing with. And I want you to be aware of what you're having to deal with. And I want to open your eyes and your minds and your hearts to how God really wants us to live. That's Paul's message to us today. So we begin this conversation in 1 Corinthians we're going to talk about message, we're going to talk about resolution, we're going to talk about unity. But the passage, before we can even get into it, I want to share some things with you about what the message is not. 
Sometimes you have to identify what isn't before you can really see what is. 1 Corinthians 1.12, what I mean is this, one of you says I follow Paul, another I follow Paulus, another I follow Cephas, still another I follow Christ. Let me tell you a secret. The message of the church is not the preacher. I just shared with you that last Sunday John Reed was preaching. The Sunday before that it was Jeff Walling. A few Sundays before that I preached. A few Sundays before that Javon preached. A few Sundays before that Aaron preached. I have news for you. I'm not going to preach here forever. Now some of you are like, yes! <laughs> and some of you are like, no! I'm not going to preach here forever. Unless Jesus comes back to call us all home, there's a pretty good chance that I'll die sometime, and I won't be preaching here forever. This church will go on and on. I was corrected lovingly a few weeks ago when I talked about this church being 35 years old. It's not 35 years old. It's more like 48 years old in the city of Mission Viejo. That's how long it's been here. And, and the, the beauty of that is, regardless of who's standing in this pulpit, this church has the capacity to carry on. But the challenge that we have as people is that we like people. And we like the way that brother so-and-so preaches or the way that brother so-and-so teaches or the way that sister so-and-so teaches. We like those things because we're humans and we just kind of gravitate to those kinds of things. But I have news for you. The message of the church is not the preacher. It isn't. I have been to Saddleback Church. Anyone else in here visited the Saddleback Church where Rick Warren preaches? Have you ever heard Rick preach from the pulpit? He's pretty good, isn't he? I've heard better. And he won't be honest enough to tell you. I've heard better. How many of you know John Maxwell? You know of John Maxwell, you know him? Heard him preach? John Maxwell is a great communicator, but he will tell you straight up, there are other people that preach better than me. It's not the preacher. It isn't the guy standing before you Sunday after Sunday. So regardless of who stands in this pulpit, whether you like him or her or not, the reality is we need to come for the message. And it isn't the preacher. Okay? It isn't the preacher. Christ didn't send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. It's not just baptism. Now i got to be honest with you, in our world of the restoration movement, and I love it, I'm still here for a reason, I didn't run off to something else. I'm still here for a reason because I believe in what we do. But in our world of the restoration churches, we have so emphasized this thing called baptism that we've missed, <coughs> excuse me, we've missed a lot of the other things. But, but Jesus didn't go to the cross just to go out and preach baptism. And it's important. But that's not why he went to the cross. Paul didn't come into the church in Corinth and spend the amount of time that he spent there just to baptize a whole bunch of people. As a matter of fact, if you look at the text in, first, in the first chapter, you'll see that he enumerates that handful of just a very few people that he did baptize, and he was kind of happy he didn't baptize any more of them for fear that they would be following him instead of Jesus. You get what I'm saying? It's not about baptism. As important as it is in this whole process of salvation and being in a right relationship with God, it's not about that. And yet so often we go into the world and the first thing that comes out of our mouth is some conversation about baptism. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. It's not miracles. Now I know in our fellowship of the churches of Christ and we don't really think that miracles are apropos today. I personally have never been able to lay my hands on anyone and give them sight again who was blind. I've never been able to touch a person who had heart condition and heal their heart condition. 
I've never been able to touch the ears of someone who couldn't hear and, and restore their ability to hear. I've never been able to do that stuff. God hasn't given me that gift. Maybe he will someday. It's within his power to do so. But I don't have that ability. But even if I could, <clears throat> even if I could go to the hospital three blocks from here and walk in and lay my hands on every single person in there and heal them all, that's not what the church and the message is all about. Because the physical healing that we may experience in our lives has nothing to do with the spiritual healing that we receive from the cross. And there's a huge difference in the two. My message and preaching weren't with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. It's not persuasion that it's all about. I could be a great persuasive speaker. I could get you to do something. I could talk you into anything. But it's not about my ability to persuade you for anything. It's about Jesus. So the message truly is the gospel. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And in a technical sense, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus is the fact that he went to the cross. The message is the cross. Paul continues, he says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message is the cross. It's what happened on the cross. That's what counts. That's the greatest message we could ever share with anyone. It's what happened on the cross. Am I the only one in the room, or have you ever experienced a moment or a time or known someone who's experienced bad feelings about something that you did? Anyone else ever experienced that? We've done something. We know it was counter. We know there's something in our, thank you, Brian. We have one other brother. We have two. We'll have a call to repentance after the sermon, and all of the front will be filled. <laughs> no, but, but we've all done something that we wish we hadn't. Yes? We've all done it. We've all done something that was horribly wrong. And we look back on it, it's like, man, I wish I hadn't done that. And sometimes, sometimes, you cannot fix what you messed up. You get what I'm saying? You can't take back those words when you say them. You can't change that relationship once it's been destroyed sometimes. Well, now what are you going to do? Sometimes there isn't anything to do except go to the cross. Because that's the only place where we can find forgiveness. And that's hard for us. That's really hard for us as people to accept. Because the reality is, we really like to be in a little more control of things than that. We create this whole system of worship. We did, we created all this stuff. Let me, let me tell you a secret. You'll be hard-pressed to find any single person in the New Testament that went through the five acts of salvation before they were baptized, as we pronounce them to be. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. There isn't one. There's not a single person who did all five of those. All at the same time that you can put your finger on the New Testament says, he heard, he heard, he heard, he heard it, he heard it good. <laughs> Believed it, repented, confessed me with ties. You won't find that. Let me tell you another secret. You won't find a single assembly of the church where they did what you and I refer to as five acts of worship. There's not a place where they did all five of them together. We 
seen a few things here, we've seen a few things there, and we pull it all together, and we created this thing that we call worship. And I'm not against any, either one of those. I think both of them are very valid. I think they're great. But I want you to understand that we create things like that so we can control things like that. You get what I'm saying? Because if I know the five things, then I'm going to do the five things. And I can hold you accountable for those five things because you didn't do the five things. You get where I'm coming from? But that's not what happened at the cross. It's not easy sometimes for us to live at the foot of the cross. But that's the message that Paul brings to the church. Jesus demand, or the Jews demand miracles. Greeks look for wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom. As I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while, you, while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So I just want you to think about conversations that you have had in the past or that you may anticipate in the future having with someone that you would like to bring into the family of God or have wanted to bring into the family of God. And I want you to think about what we talk about. More often than not, we are concerned with actions and activities in which we might be engaged rather than surrendering at the cross. I want you to realize the message is Jesus. And when we go into the world in whatever capacity, however limited or however great it may be, when we go into the world and we take our faith with us, it is about our believing in the cleansing blood of Jesus. And that will change conversations. It isn't about what version of the Bible you read. Because if you want to get real technical about that, you better learn Greek. And if you want to get really technical about it, you better learn to read Aramaic because that's the real language that Jesus spoke. And if you want to look at the Old Testament, you better learn how to read Hebrew. See how ridiculous it can get? Guys, I want you to really stop and just think about what we do when we leave this place and the message that we take with us when we go into this world. It's not about things that we have made and deemed to be important. It's about the message of the cross. It is about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. That is what gives hope. That is what provides forgiveness. So our resolution should be this simple. If Christ and Him crucified is our message, then what is our resolution? I came preaching nothing except Jesus. It doesn't rest on men's wisdom. It doesn't rest on men's persuasion. It doesn't rest on our ability to talk to somebody well or not talk to them well. It doesn't rest on what time we start our worship service or not start it. It doesn't matter if we have a Sunday morning and a Sunday night and a Wednesday night. It doesn't matter about any of those kinds of things. What matters is the message of Jesus and the cross. 
When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear, with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstrations of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power." So our unity, if we're speaking the same message with resolution in our hearts to promote one true message, which is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the natural result, result should be unity in our churches, yes? Don't you think? Well, then what happened? What happened? Why is there division? Why does it exist? Even in the church in Corinth, Paul said, some of you follow Paul. Some of you follow Peter. Some of you follow Jesus. What's up with all of that? The last part is my paraphrase. What's up with all of that? Later on, he's going to talk to those who are married or who are not married or who have been married and who might want to be married and who decided not to be married anymore. What's up with all of that? Later on in the book, he's going to talk to people about the gifts that they have. And some are professing that they have this great gift. I can speak in tongues. So can I. Habla espanol? No. No. I don't speak in tongues. I don't. But they thought it was the greatest thing. And he's going to share with them, look, none of that stuff really matters. You know what really matters? Do you love people? You might be able to speak with tongues like clanging symbols, but do you love people? Because if you don't love people, who cares what you say and how you say it? I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus that you all agree with one another so there might not be any divisions. Be perfectly united in mind and thought. There were 70 people here yesterday. Seventy, one or two, three, something, I don't know the exact number. There were over 70 people here yesterday. And it was all about beginning a greetings ministry and making people feel comfortable. And we looked around. And one of the coolest things, but at the same time, one of the most frightening things that we did yesterday is 70 of us traipsed around the property. <laughs> and we looked at all the stuff. And we looked at the trees. And we looked at the signs. And we looked at this building. And we looked at this auditorium. And we looked at these walls and how naked they are. And we looked at these signs that are wonderful signs, but apparently half of you cannot read them because the type is either the wrong color or the wrong size. And we looked at all different kinds of things. And there are 70 sheets of paper that we have in our possession that have a list of different things that we like and dislike that we could change and not change. And I can assure you, when we analyze and critique that 70-something list of ideas. We're going to have different ideas about different things. And some of you are not going to like the fact that we change a sign. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. You're going to be mad because we changed a sign. Or you're going to be mad because we trimmed a tree. Or, God forbid, that we cut down a tree. But we might cut down a tree. And some of you are going to get mad because we cut down a tree. Some of you will get mad because there might not be a clock there anymore that tells me Please tell me that's not been changed. Yes, it's still an hour off. 
I haven't preached that long, I don't think. All right. Very, thank you, thank you. All right, it's only 11.30, yes? All right. But do you guys get where I'm coming from? If we're not careful as a church, we will allow ourselves to get distracted by the trivial things that may mean a lot in one way, but they mean nothing in light of the cross. But people have a really, really long history of getting distracted and obsessed with those little things. Paul says, some from Chloe's house have informed me there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this one says, I follow Paul, another Paulus, I follow Cephas, another I follow Christ. Who are you following? I'm telling you, don't follow me. Don't follow me. You don't want to go where I'm going. Because I'm going to Phoenix when I leave here today. And you don't want to go there. Mm -mm. Follow Christ. I promise you, I'm not perfect. You don't want to do all the things that I do. Because I do stupid things sometimes. Ask my wife. I do really bad things sometimes. You don't want to follow me. You want to follow Christ. So when we speak with one heart and one mind, the message that we speak in which we have to have unity is in Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were baptized in the name of Paul? He goes on to talk about, I'm, I'm glad I didn't baptize all you guys. Because he didn't want them being obsessed with following him. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about Paul. It wasn't about his message. It's about Jesus. I came to you. I didn't come with elegance. Superior wisdom. I was with you and came to you with weakness and fear and much trembling. When you and I have an opportunity to speak with anybody about our faith, is any of that present? So here's the statement of unity. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Are you okay not being in control? Now, some of you will say, yeah, I'm never in control of anything. It's okay with me. And you live your life almost totally out of control. And I know some of us in this room, moi included, will oftentimes take control. Like when we don't see something getting done and we know it should be getting done, we'll just step in and get it done. Some of us are like that. But when it comes to our lives in Christ, are you okay not being in control? Because see, it really comes down to our surrendering ourselves to Jesus. That's what it's really all about. It's really about living in Christ. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. My message and my preaching were with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, God's power. And when it is truly a demonstration of the Spirit's power and God's power, guess who it isn't? Guess who it is not? It's not me, and it is not you. It is God 
and his spirit living and working through you to accomplish whatever it is that he needs to accomplish. See, I believe with all of my heart, and I really, really do believe this, I believe with all of my heart that every single person that you and I will see today and tomorrow and this week and next week and next month and next year, every single person without exception is on God's radar screen. And he is seeking to have relationship with them all. No one is excluded. Your worst enemy, the absolute worst person you could ever think of in your whole life, maybe it's the dictator of the world, or maybe it's your next door neighbor, or maybe it's your kid. I'm telling you, God wants relationship with every single one of them. Why did Jesus say, pray for your enemies? How is it that Jesus, hanging on a cross, could say, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing? How could he do that, knowing that they had just hung him on the cross? Our conversation and our message should be such that it's not about what we say, it's not about what we think, it's not about how we are who we are, it's about are we allowing Jesus and his spirit and God's spirit to come through us, however which way God needs it to come through us, to reach the next person. And it's not about baptism. And it's not about worship service. And it's not about the time of the service. And it's not about the version of the Bible. And it's not about elders or deacons or preachers or teachers. It's about the cross. All of those things have their place. But the message is the cross. And the message is Jesus dying on a cross and shedding his blood for all of us. All of us. The whole world of us. Republican or Democrat. Independent or socialist. Communist or capitalist. It doesn't matter. What matters is the blood. What matters is the blood of Jesus cleansing all of us from the sin that I know that you know that you have. And I know that you know that they know that they have. And our job is just to take the message of the cross. It's simple. What gives you hope? Your ability to overcome everything? Are you kidding me? You ain't that good. I'm sorry, pardon my grammar, but you ain't that good. You will not overcome everything. You will not get everything right. Have you ever? I don't think so. The only hope that any of us have is the blood of Jesus. The only hope that any of us have is at the cross. And until we can surrender ourselves and lay ourselves down repeatedly over and over and over again at the foot of the cross, that's when the message becomes powerful. So that's the introduction to Corinthians. Wait till the next week. It gets better. He starts digging just a little bit deeper. And we'll hit some, we'll hit some funny bones. We'll hit some very tender spots over the next couple of weeks. I promise you we will. But I ask you, 
to hang in here with me because the message at the end is pretty amazing. It is very amazing when you get to the end. We're going to sing a song that Brandon selected for us. Encourage us all to walk closer to God, to walk closer with Christ. If there's anything this morning that we can pray with you about, we would invite you to come. Let us know. I'll be here at the front for a few minutes. Let us know if there's something that's on your heart. I'm here. Some of the elders will be here. Uh, Find one of us. Find Brandon when the service is over and talk to us. We'd love to help you. If some of you, one of you, two or 10 or 12 of you are here who have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, trust me, you're not going to get it right on your own. It'll never happen. I wish you were that good, but none of us are. And the only way, the only way is through Jesus. So we invite you to come. Let's stand and sing this song.